I'm Steve Forbes, and this is What's Ahead. Today, I'm speaking with Mark Suster, venture capitalist and managing partner at Upfront Ventures. Mark has become a leader in healthy living through his blog, Both Sides of the Table. He joined me to talk about how he cultivated a healthy lifestyle and, very importantly, how we can too. But first, what's ahead? In sports, when a player or team makes a bad play because of their own mistakes rather than from pressure of an opponent or opposing team, it is called an unforced error. Unfortunately, the new Biden administration is making plenty of them when it comes to the economy. And that means trouble ahead for the stock market. The way the president's recent Buy American executive order was written will end up disrupting manufacturing supply chains and raising costs, making many American companies less competitive. Talk about unintended consequences. Already, businesses are writing petitions for exemptions. The president's war against the oil and gas industry will undermine a huge advantage the U.S. has today, cheap and abundant energy. By curbing natural gas production and spending hundreds of billions of dollars on politically connected alternative energy suppliers, energy and electricity prices will go up. Years ago, Germany pursued a Biden-like approach to energy and ended up with electricity prices two to three times their own. Now get this, with higher emissions of carbon dioxide, because they had to resort to dirty coal. Regulatory costs that will be imposed by returning to the Paris Agreement will also hurt. The scandal here is that the worst offenders of emissions, especially China and India, get a free ride for years to come. In the meantime, they'll be bringing online literally hundreds if not thousands of new coal-fired power plants. Bureaucrats in the Labor Department and the National Labor Relations Board are writing rules that will raise the cost of companies employing people and also to force more unionization. The big trouble here will be the imposition of rigid work rules that'll hamper productivity and innovation. It was the straitjacket of such suffocating work restrictions that years ago played a key role in nearly destroying the auto industry in Detroit. The new administration is ready to launch a multi-trillion dollar spending spree. It doesn't realize that this means taking resources already produced by people and businesses or printing money out of thin air by the Federal Reserve. Government doesn't create resources, the private sector does. Washington will merely seize what already exists, which leads to the basic question. Who would you rather have invest capital, Nancy Pelosi or Jeff Bezos? As for the Fed printing money, that'll only lead to inflation and economic stagnation. The White House wants big tax increases this year, which will raise the cost of working and the cost of productive investing. When vaccines are better distributed and administered, the U.S. economy will initially roar ahead in relief. But then, these unforced errors from the new administration will dramatically slow things down and, in turn, wallop the stock market. I'm Steve Forbes. Thanks for listening. Do send in your comments and suggestions. And I look forward to being with you soon again. And now, my interview with Mark Suster. My special guest today is Mark Suster. He's managing partner of Upfront Ventures, the largest VC firm in Los Angeles. He's a successful entrepreneur, noted blogger, veteran podcaster. Mark is also a dual citizen, born in the United States, but he also has a passport from the United Kingdom. 
but he's here because of a New Year's Day post entitled, How I Lost 65 Pounds in 18 Months Without Any Fad Diets or Gimmicks. He posted it on bothsidesofthetable.com. Let me say that again, bothsidesofthetable.com. Naturally, that got my attention, that title. In the post, he made the point that he occasionally eats pizza, licorice, he loves licorice, bagels, ice cream, cheeseburgers, you name it, he occasionally has it. So this really got my attention. Now, New Year's resolutions, we all know the fate of most of them. We make them in earnest fashion. Many of them revolve around weight, but most of these uh, resolutions or even diets fall to what Mark calls the yo-yo effect. We get it down, and then it goes up, down, up, and we have a sense of failure, especially as we get older and become what I call metabolism challenged. Even if you knock out carbs, which I've done in the past, the weight really goes away. The problem with carb diets is you just can't stay on them. They just, you just get worn out and you give it up. So in July, 2019, Mark took a different approach sort of reflecting Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert, who uh, says you have to hack your brain uh, instead of uh, relying on willpower. So Mark makes the point that it's about getting new habits, specific measures based on the concept, you manage what you measure. So in July of 2019, Mark, who was 5'10", was weighing 222 pounds. He was reluctant to make this post because that kind of jinxes things, perhaps. You know, a year from now, he could be at 322 and people say, I told you so, it wouldn't work. But no, he's done it differently this time. So Mark, uh, walk us through, first, why most diets don't work, and then the approach you took in July 2019, which ignored the diet traps. First, why don't most diets work? Well, I think most diets do work. But the issue is that they work for a temporary period of time. So it's not that tough to go from what is your peak weight to an initial loss, let's say 10 pounds, 15 pounds, 20 pounds, whatever for you is your first level of loss. And in fact, I was so good at doing that, I seemed to do it you know, five times a year. But the problem is I always went back up. And the issue for me is not whether or not you can lose the initial weight, it's sustainability. Right. So if you take something, you mentioned cutting out carbs. I think cutting out carbs empirically is pretty healthy for people. And I think most processed sugars and carbohydrates and non-whole foods generally aren't wonderful to eat. So if you cut them out, you're going to notice an immediate weight loss. The problem is that people have a hard time sticking with that long-term as a lifestyle. And so what I was more interested in is how do you fundamentally change your behavior? And you're not gonna make anything sustainable unless you can make it a habit. And for me, I think most people with zero carb or low carb diets is, it just doesn't fit into our long-term lifestyle. So I think you need a different approach. And you've pointed out that oftentimes when we try to make these changes, you compare it to uh, trying to run a marathon without proper preparation. You get out, run hard, and after two miles, boy, it, it doesn't work. Walk us through that, how you got to take an approach where you're not going to lose 50 pounds in a week, but this is going to be a long-term thing that is sustainable. 
Thank you. Uh, well, first of all, you mentioned my blog, Both Sides of the Table. So I did publish a lot of this. And if I don't get to some of it, feel free to uh, come to the website where I'm going to continue to update it. But the framework I have is the first thing you need to do is have the right frame of mind. If you don't have the right frame of mind, you can have good two, three, four weeks, but then you will slowly sink back into old habits. So you really need to first think about your mental game as you go into this, as you would in a marathon. You wouldn't just start running. You start thinking, okay, this is 26.2 miles and I better have a certain amount of preparation. I better have a plan. I better know what I'm going to eat and how I'm going to hydrate and weight loss and fitness gain also, not just weight loss, but how you build muscle and become more fit, it's very intentional. So what I said was lay out a framework. I was 222, I always got down to 200, and then I went back up again. I called that the yo-yo effect. You go down, you go up, you go down, you go up. I said my lifetime goal would be at 185. I haven't been at 185 in a really long time, maybe since like my 20s, my late 20s, and I'm 52 now. And I said, that's my goal. So I had a frame of reference. And then I plotted how long would it take to get to 185? And I just simply plotted it on a graph of a slow progression towards 185. And I estimated that if I could get there, it would take me about nine months, okay? Now, I actually didn't believe I would get to 185. But if I had a goal, I at least could go in with the right frame of mind. Now, you mentioned what I said earlier, which is you manage what you measure. So then I created daily accountability for myself. There's different people have different philosophy, but I say you got to get on the scale every single morning. Every single morning, you need to keep score. You don't need to be down every day. You just need to be honest every day. You need it to be measurable. I work in business. I'm a venture capitalist, and I built two software companies myself. In business, we manage everything. We manage what are your receipts and your revenue, your marketing spend, what are your gross margins, how much product are you shipping, whatever. And somehow in our personal lives, we don't hold ourselves accountable for that measurement. So for me, was the mind was most important, having a plan and being able to hack your mind. And then the second thing was measuring results and holding yourself accountable. And we as individuals are motivated in different ways either extrinsically by outside forces or intrinsically internal motivation. Most people are motivated extrinsically by outside forces, appealing to outside forces. That's why having an accountability coach or somebody, an accountability partner, somebody that you can check in with and say how you're doing is a very effective way of holding yourself accountable and so I think that's a good hack for people. So right now I have several family members and friends who every day they send me a screenshot. And that screenshot says really simple thing. You don't need to tell me how much you weigh. You just need to tell me what is your goal in terms of calorie consumption? How much calories did you consume in this day? And how many calories did you burn in this day? So what is your net calories overall for the day? And by sending me a screenshot of that every day, you're holding yourself accountable to an extrinsic force, which is me. And so that's just a starting point. I'm happy to answer more questions. Now, uh, you uh, say one should sign up for something like Noom or my fitness pal. Personally, I found Noom uh, incomprehensible, so I'm not going to do the, my fitness pal. But you uh, point out that in terms of uh, measuring, especially the foods you eat, you cannot fall into the trap of 
seeing it as food versus exercise, that uh, somehow, as you put it, you can outrun the fork. No, you can't. And exercise is not a license to eat. I know that from personal experience. I've done these long bike trips where you feel at the end of the day you've earned a big, nice meal. And amazingly, on these trips where you've really worked out, done hundreds of miles, you end up putting on weight. It sounds counterintuitive, but that's exactly what happens. So in terms of uh, food and exercise, walk us through why it's really uh, whatever formula you want, 80% food, 20% exercise, realize you got to get the food right because you can burn off a zillion calories, but a couple of scoops of ice cream and it's done in. Let me just give you simple examples. If you walk briskly for an hour and it includes hill work, so you're walking on some hills and some flats, you'll burn about three to 400 calories in an hour. If you do a really hard workout for half hour, let's say the Peloton, or you go jogging, or whatever is a hard workout for you, in a half hour of really intense workout, you'll burn about 300 calories. So now we've got a measure, okay? Now let me give you measurements on the other side. A slice of pepperoni pizza is 300 calories. A bagel with cream cheese is about 400 calories. The average bowl of cereal that Americans consume, which is not the normal portion, is somewhere between 450 to 550 calories for a bowl of cereal, okay? That includes the cereal and the milk. The milk itself probably has about 150 calories. And the only reason I point these out is not to be psychotic, right? Like we need to be measured in our approach but you need to understand that you cannot outrun the fork. So 80% of weight loss, and weight loss isn't everyone's goal, but 80% is what you eat and 20% is exercise, and they're both important. But if you're gonna start on something, start on what you eat and hold yourself accountable. As Americans, we don't measure what we eat, so we really have a skewed sense of portion control. As you know, I lived a long time in Europe. And in Europe, the portions are significantly smaller than in the U.S. So a bowl of cereal or a bowl of rice or how much bread do we consume? How much milk do we put in a cafe latte, for example, are things we just don't think about. So the reason I recommend products like Noom and MyFitnessPal, but there's many others, and I'm not an investor in anything I mention, and if I do, I will disclose it. But the nice thing about those products is they're food logging tools. They hold you accountable to measure what you eat and to say, what is the portion? And they tell you how many calories and it builds up throughout the day. And what I found was a portion of rice was a third of the size of how much rice I eat. A portion of cereal was about a third of the portion of cereal that I ate. And I just didn't realize how many calories I was taking in every day. Once I learned what portions were and I started eating smaller portions, I found I could eat anything, really, truly. I eat pizza, I eat cereal. As you mentioned, I eat bagels, but I eat them in healthy proportions. I know how much I'm eating and I know when I'm overrunning. So at the end of the day, I hold myself accountable. And then the next morning, I use a Withings scale. It's a Wi-Fi scale, again, not an investor and it automatically updates in my Apple health. So every day I know how much I weigh and I can do the consequence. I'm gonna give you one quick example, Steve, which is uh, this past weekend, uh, two weekends ago, 
I ran 16 miles. I'm pretty fit right now. I can run pretty far. I can exercise. I ran 16 miles. And then the next day I biked 90 minutes. Okay, so that's a pretty heavy workout, right, for the weekend. 16 miles on Saturday, an hour and a half biking on Sunday on the Peloton. I gained two pounds that weekend. So why? Because I had chicken wings, I had deep dish pizza, and I had sushi. You cannot outrun the fork. And then that whole next week, I held my, I, I was okay. I did it with my boys. I was happy. We watched football. But that whole next week, I held myself more accountable to my intake so that by the next weekend, I was back to my baseline. Well, you make a very important point here, and uh, you do in your uh, blogs, and that is you are going to have days where you're not going to uh, be on the drill, and it's just natural. But the thing is, if you uh, measure, you can uh, get back on track and not have the feeling, oh, I failed. You sort of chuck it away and uh, you feel you're back uh, at, at a bad starting point. There's two things, if I could say briefly, here's two things that I want to make people conscious of. One is a term called licensing. And it's what you mentioned about your long bike ride. Psychologically, there's a term called licensing. When we work out, we think we've earned the right to eat more or eat uh, foods that we want. So I went for a 16-mile run. I've earned the right to have chicken wings and deep dish pizza. But the overconsumption that you do from the licensing effect more than outweighs the good from the exercise. So if you're going to focus on only one thing, and I think you should do both, but if you're going to do only one thing, focus on food. And the second thing that I'd like to make a point about is uh, not just that there's a problem with licensing. But ultimately, you have to keep track of total calories, total consumption, and get control of what your day looks like. And what happens is if you stop measuring because you had three or four bad days, three or four bad days becomes three or four bad weeks, becomes six weeks, and people stop measuring. If you have a bad day, it's okay. If you have three bad days, it's okay, but you need to still measure every morning, even when you're having bad days and hold yourself accountable to three to five bad days because that's the only way that you're going to course correct faster and get yourself back on track. And what happens is on diets, when people break them, they stop stepping on the scale because they don't want to see it because they don't want to be accountable for their bad behavior. And three days becomes three weeks, becomes three months. And I know because that's my life, okay? And when I held myself accountable for the bad weekend or the bad week even, I got back on the track faster and I never blew my diet out for weeks. And uh, you make the point in terms of uh, measuring the food, you have to uh, log it in effect immediately, not at the end of the day. You gotta do it almost simultaneously. And the tools make it easy. My fitness pal literally has a database. It has a barcode scanner. You scan the barcode. If you eat Cheerios every morning and you start typing in C-H-E-E-R, it pops up Cheerios because it knows that you eat it every day. It automatically puts in your normal portion size. So food logging really truly takes about 10 seconds. And people who have never done it before, it seems obsessive. I promise you, it becomes a habit. It's super easy. I do every meal. The problem is your fidelity 
of information about what you actually did during the day declines during the day. You just will not remember every little thing that you did if you don't log it when you did it. And it's the hidden calories that if you're not keeping score, you don't realize you consume 300 calories a day, extra calories a day. And just to make the point again, 300 calories per day, which is nothing. It's a bagel. It's a piece of pizza. It's an extra portion of cereal, an extra bowl of rice. 300 per day times seven, meaning over a week, is 2,100 calories. So that's the equivalent of you eating eight days instead of seven days. You're eating an entire extra day per week for 300 calories per day. Every bit matters. And the minute you get it into control, the weight just falls off of you. So uh, a couple of things on that. One is post-COVID world, which eventually will happen. Uh, you make the point that you have to plan when you go into areas where you know the diet's going to be under attack. Uh, movies, receptions, working dinner, alcohol. Walk us through those in terms of uh, how you cope to make sure uh, these don't blow away uh, the what, what you've been uh, doing. Well, as a starting point, I said you have to get control of your mind and then you need measurement. And those are two really important ingredients in weight loss that we don't think about. We think about food and exercise, but mind and measurement matter even more. And here's why. Psychologically, we make mistakes that are tied to the human psyche. So when I go to a movie theater and I smell the aroma and I think about being a child in a movie theater, I think I need to eat popcorn. Well, movie theater popcorn is coated in butter and oil and is probably more than a thousand calories. So it's like eating half of your entire food intake in one bucket of popcorn. But I'm psychologically tied to memories of smells and moments in my past that caused me to take behavior that's irrational. When I go to a cocktail party or an after work party, Normally at home, I wouldn't snack on a bunch of appetizers, uh, but suddenly I'm, my anxiety is up and I'm actually very social. I don't mind talking to people all the time, but it's the subtle anxiety build of having to communicate that you start eating empty calories and you don't realize. So getting control of psychology, understanding what is my plan for the day? What am I doing today? Oh, I'm going to a work event tonight. I know that's where I make mistakes. So I'm actually not going to fall into that trap because I'm thinking about it in advance. So Noom, which I'm not an investor in, it's for some people, not for others. Like I'm not pushing one product. But one thing that's really good about Noom is it forces you to think about the psychology of why you eat and why you overeat and why you make the choices you make. And it forces you to write it down as a journal. You can do this without Noom. You can do this yourself. They just make it easier to do so. But I realized that when I'm in a group at a dinner and there are appetizers ordered for the table, I always eat them. But if I was on my own, I wouldn't order that stuff. When I'm in a social environment where I have to talk a lot, I eat more. If I have any alcohol, that lowers my inhibitions to eating food that I shouldn't eat. So I don't drink alcohol socially now, like when I'm in a work environment, but I I don't abstain from anything. So I have a little alcohol, a little pizza, a little everything, but just not in that environment because it causes bad behavior. When I go to a movie, I bring a little bit of a cheat. Let's say I might bring a, a healthy chocolate bar so that I feel like I'm getting that need met and I don't have to order the movie theater popcorn. Uh, one of the 
virtues you point out of uh, counting the calories, so to speak, keeping track of them, is coming up with innovative combinations that can fill you up but not blow away the calories. Can you walk us through some of those just to give us an example of uh, the creativity that comes by measuring these things? Well, as a starting point, because I never thought about stuff like this, the classic mistake I would make is I love bagels, okay? And so one bagel never seemed to fill me up. So I always had two bagels. And it didn't seem like a lot until I realized over time, two bagels is 600 calories. If you add butter or cream cheese, that's like eight or 900 calories. And I started realizing that eggs actually fill you up and make you not want to cheat more. And they're actually not as caloric. So you can have four eggs. Eggs are 70 calories a piece. You can have four eggs and a half a bagel and feel really full. Four eggs, 280, half a bagel, 150. And I found that with eggs, I then didn't have to put cream cheese or butter on it. So there's an idea where you're getting more protein, less carbohydrate, you feel more full, and your total calories go down massively. A second idea is I put egg whites into a measuring cup so I know exactly how many I have. You can put um, a quarter uh, of a cup of egg whites, which is four egg whites. That's what it's equal to. So you just learn these things over time. And I would add one egg yolk. Okay, so egg whites are obviously much lower calorie than an egg. I would add one egg yolk, mix it all together and make eggs. And in effect, it kind of tasted like eggs because it had the egg yolk in there, but it only had the calories of one egg. And then you start to mix in things like you can put in a little ham or you can put in a little um, onion or tomato or whatever. But what I learned was by doing the onion or the bell peppers or the tomato, I didn't need to put a ton of cheese. The thing that kills you is the cheese. So when you go to a breakfast, when you go to a brunch and they give you a big omelet, they've soaked it in butter, they've soaked it in oil, they're giving you full eggs and they're just covering it in cheese. And here's the reason why. Cheese tastes good. <laughs> you know, if you're a cook and you add fat or butter or salt to anything, it makes it taste good. But you learn to appreciate the taste of whole foods when you start to cut out all the crap and you just eat eggs without cheese, and it's great. Now, I do like cheese, so I will allow myself cheese, but I measure it. So I put in a quarter cup of cheddar cheese. A quarter cup, which is nothing, is 110 calories. So imagine they're probably putting in a full cup of cheese. They're probably putting 400 to 450 calories in your omelet. Leave aside the bread, leave aside the hash browns, leave aside the milk you put in your coffee. The cheese will kill you. Right. And I love your formula for a quesadilla. Can you walk us through that? That uh, fills you up without uh, blowing the diet? <laughs> yeah. I mean, but a chipotle quesadilla is like 600 calories because their tortilla is 300 calories and it's filled with fat and they just cover it in cheese. So I started innovating with my own tortillas. There's two types. Not, not, not that I make them, but that I buy them. So a normal tortilla is 140 calories that you can buy, like the typical Mission tortilla, 140 calories. Or they have a Carb Smart one that you can get on Amazon, 70 calories, okay? And it's lower carb, lower calories. But either is okay. And I started by cooking eggs and just putting light cheese, 80 calories of cheese, light eggs, 
and uh, tortilla and making my own quesadillas with a little bit of protein in it, whether it's eggs, whether it's chicken, light cheese, and a portion controlled size tortilla. And it's really filling. And I feel like I'm eating a breakfast burrito or something like that. The problem when you go to a restaurant is you end up eating all the other garbage that makes it taste amazing. And you have to be careful about avocado. Avocado is great. Eat it on its own. But when you pile it into cheese and eggs and tortilla and everything else, it adds up. So just be careful of it on its own. Um, and if you're making burritos, if you're putting rice and beans on top of sour cream and cheese and chicken and the tortilla, you're into 900 to 1100 calories before you've started anything. So if you can simplify the amounts of food and the type of food you eat in one portion throughout the day, you could eat anything you want. One of the things uh, you also touch on since we're going to do it is snacks and uh, planning uh, what is a snack that's not going to uh, blow things away and what are. For example, you say popsicles. That's a good snack. Well, it depends on what you're trying to monitor. Some people don't like things like popsicles because they're really trying to cut out sugar in their life. I think sugar is generally an evil. <laughs> I think it's a bad thing, but I think it's unrealistic for most of us to cut it out completely. So what I do is I do popsicles in the evening. The reason is after dinner, I feel like I want some sort of treat. I guess psychologically I'm programmed that way. A single popsicle has 30 calories. So I eat three and I space them out. And that's my way of saying, okay, 90 calories is okay in the evening. But what I avoid by doing that is a bowl of ice cream. I avoid a chocolate cake. I avoid the kinds of things that we all kind of secretly want. And I feel like I get a cheat in at the same time, but it's really only 90 calories. And uh, same thing with... Uh... 100 calorie popcorn, not the kind you get at a theater. Yes, I have the 100 calorie bags. And I, I also have 300 calorie bags. And my wife said to me, which one do you like better? And I said, they both taste good, but whichever I pop, I'm eating the whole damn thing. So, so I know if I pop the 100 calorie, I can at least control my portion. I know I can't control myself. I will eat the entire thing of popcorn. So by buying the 100 calorie packs, I know I control myself. And uh, chewing gum, sugarless gum. So I have a rule. And again, it's about how do you control your mind? Our minds can control us if we don't control them. So what I do is in the evening, I have sugarless gum and I have about five or six different flavors. And they're all like, they give me like that sweet feeling like I'm doing something naughty. Um, I have bubble gum flavor. I have watermelon flavor. I have, you know, mint flavor. But I have a rule. If I eat gum, it means I'm done eating for the day. I cannot eat anything after. Now, of course, I could break that rule, but I've set that rule. So it's like a psychological shot. It's like Pavlovian for me. And if I break that rule, I'm like, okay, I'm unhappy with myself. That's an intrinsic motivation. So it's a psychological trick I use to tell myself, you need to stop eating for the night. I know that some people brush their teeth to do the same effect, and that just isn't what I do. But the gum also gives you a sense of I'm having a little bit of a treat, even though it's no calories. Yes, it does seem in the evening, uh, I've always felt that the devil comes out in the evening disguised as a refrigerator. 
And uh, you talk about uh, some poo-poo it, but it seems to be very real, is that at the end of the day, you have what you refer to as ego depletion, where we're, we're good during the day, but somehow in the night it just goes kablooey. There, there are some people who believe that this is a psychological uh, phenomenon, and there's some people who don't believe it. And I don't even want to get into the debate with psychologists, but uh, let's just say that there's a belief that we as humans have a certain amount of willpower, and that throughout the day, we face cognitive choices that put strains and stresses on our brains. And the more cognitive load we have during the day, the weaker we are in the evening. That's the framework for the psychology. Um, whether it's actually happening or not, I have found it to be a truism for me. And my weak spot is the evening. So that's the thing I need to attack. So by having the measurement of my fitness pal in the evening when it's 7, 7.30, 8 o'clock and I've eaten dinner already. By the way, I try to eat dinner earlier because it's better on digestion. Then I look at how many calories have I consumed. I try to consume 1,900, 1,900 net calories per day. By net, I mean gross is how many I take in minus my exercise equals net. So if I ate 2,200 and I burned 400, that's 1,800 net. So in the evening, I might say, hey, I've got 600 calories left over. Do I wanna have 200 calories of something or 300 calories of something? So by keeping score, you can get control of your evenings and even allow yourself a little leeway to cheat. But to the extent that I can come in under my calorie target, so if I have 600 calories left and I only consume 300, that 300 that I came in under just means that my weight over time is going to drop faster. But you do have uh, certain uh, give-ups, at least in, in, in your case, and one that uh, pained me to read was uh, lattes. I love to begin the day with a latte with milk in it, which is a calorie buster right, right at the beginning of the day. Listen, I love cafe latte too. I love them so much, I drank three a day. And I just find there are certain things, and you know, every individual has to make their decision about what they want to do, what's their comfort food, and what do they want to give up and not want to give up. I didn't want to give up bagels, for example. But latte to me was such a waste because each one has somewhere between 100 up to 200 calories. And again, just doing the simple math is that's 3,000 extra calories a month, maybe 4,000 calories a month. So if there's 30 days approximately in a month, you're eating two extra days a month just by having cafe latte. So I said to myself, could I learn to just like black coffee. I never drank black coffee my entire life. And I just started drinking it every morning saying, I felt like a hero. I felt like, oh my God, I'm cutting out all these needless calories that I can consume somewhere else. And guess what? After 30 days, I promise you, black coffee became a habit. I started to enjoy it. I started to awaken and say, wait a second, coffee, if you have good coffee, actually tastes good. And I'm freeing myself up either to lose weight or to spend my mental calories on things I care more about. But if latte is your thing, do it. By the way, I do have the occasional latte. As I said to you, I don't abstain from anything. I just don't make it part of my daily habit. You also make the point, uh, leads into a point you make, that when you uh, have these new habits, uh, food tastes differently than before. There are things I would never think to eat that I now just really love and enjoy. 
Uh, tomatoes is an example I give. So I would tomato to me was an ingredient that was chucked into, I don't know, a burrito or a hamburger or might be on my pizza sauce, right? But what I learned is I could slice tomatoes, put a very tiny amount of olive oil on them and put salt on it. And I would slice them up and put them on a plate and I would eat sliced tomatoes. Now that seemed to me before I got really into health and fitness, like some, something a crazy person did. You know, like, like that's not human food, that's rabbit food. But I started to realize, actually, tomatoes are wonderful. They're very full of taste. And as long as you break this idea that everything has to taste like cheese or fat or sugar, you start to really enjoy whole foods. Now, to get control of your eating, you have to have things readily available to you. Because if you go every day and the only place for you to find ready-made food is in your cupboard where things are prepackaged, things like energy bars, which are terrible for you of any flavor, uh, they're not whole food, they're all processed. If you have ready-made foods that you can, when you're in that need and you don't wanna think about it, you can just grab, you're gonna have a lot more success. So an example I give people is, and it's, it's expensive, I will acknowledge, uh, daily harvest is wonderful. You can keep it in the freezer. It's very healthy. It's portion controlled. There's no meat and no dairy in any of their products. They taste wonderful. I'm not an investor. I love the, the product. Uh, there's another uh, whole foods company called Territory Foods. I am an investor in that company. What I love about it is they source recipes from local chefs who pre-make foods for you based on whatever your food needs are. You can say, do I want to be low carb? Do I want to be low fat? Do I want to be low calorie? And then you get the food delivered to your house once or twice a week, up to you. And it stays in the fridge in portion control. So when I have an urge, a need to just consume something, having something ready-made helps you to be a better version of yourself than having to think cognitively, what do I make to be healthy? That's why I leave tomatoes around the house. That's why I leave avocados around the house. Uh, that's why even like I, I started buying these tiny little cucumbers. They're like little tiny pickles. They're prepackaged. And I would never think to eat a cucumber. And to be honest with you, a cucumber is not as good as a Philly cheesesteak. Okay. It's just not. It's not as good as a bowl of ice cream. In fact, it's not even as good as a pickle. Pickles are a big go-to for me. I love pickles. There's zero calories in a pickle. But I thought, okay, I'm consuming a hell of a lot of sodium. So I'll do some pickles sometime, but I started keeping these cucumbers ready to eat in the refrigerator. And I might eat five or six of them, put a little bit of salt on them and eat them. And it just helps you to fill that need to feel like you're snacking. And it also helps your stomach to feel full. And then one other thing I'll just mention is I use this bottle. It's called Hydrate. And uh, I'm not an investor in the company. Again, just be clear. Um, and what this hydrate bottle does is it measures how much water you take in and you have an application that tells you how much water you consume. The more water you consume, the more you process stuff out of your body, which is a good thing, the less dehydrated you get, but it also helps you to feel full. So they keep me accountable. You manage what you measure. They keep me accountable to how much water am I consuming per day. And I found I thought I was a big drinker of water. I found out I drink a lot less water than I thought I did. Uh, two other companies you mentioned are uh, Blue Apron and Sweetgreen. Are all of these uh, available nationwide? Or Yeah. So Blue Apron is a nationwide service. It's a publicly traded stock. Uh, I'm not an investor, never have been. 
What they do is ready-made meals that you cook. So they take usually 30 to 40 minutes to cook. What I love is um, it's you get different selections throughout the weeks. So you never feel like you're eating the same thing every night. It's all whole foods. You can edit the menu. So if you say, I don't want shrimp or I don't like fish or I don't want red meat, you can do that and they don't send it to you. You can also, if you choose, you can choose the low calorie menu. I don't choose that. So the typical meal is between six to 800 calories. The lower calories are between uh, 450 to 600. I do the six to 800 calories. And for dinner, that's the right amount of calories to consume. And I will tell you, Steve, that I uh, finish the dinner with Blue Apron and I always feel like I need a second dinner. That just shows you how we as Americans have psychologically been programmed to eat too much because these are really full meals. They're the portion you should be eating, but we do it four nights a week. And by doing it four nights a week, again, it takes the cognitive load off my plate. One day it could be pita with steak in it. Uh, the next day it could be chicken and rice. The next day it could be Parma ham cheese quesadillas. But in any case, they pre-measure it out for you and you can order for two or four. They pre-measure it out so that it's the right portion size so you don't overeat. And if you don't have to think, it's a huge benefit and it's easy to log it because they tell you how many calories are in it. Sweet green, um, I don't think it's everywhere in the United States, but it's in at least most of the major metros. And what they do is really high quality salads. And the salads are pre-made. They do grain bowls, rice bowls, and salad bowls but it's all nutritious stuff. Um, and so what I do is I order four at a time. I eat one when I'm ready for lunch and I keep three in the fridge. And it goes back to this idea. There's, there's some in my fridge right now. I always have some sweet green, some daily harvest, some blue apron, some cucumbers, some oranges, some popsicles. I have the things that I can grab to make me a better version of myself. Right. And, uh, you referred to uh, the less eating out we do, the better. In terms of exercise, we've uh, been talking about food. You, you mentioned Peloton, making sure that that's not just a place to hang clothes. But you have to learn to, with exercise too, start slow and uh, gradually build up. And uh, walking, we can do a lot more walking. Uh, sometimes in this part of the world in the East, in the wintertime, that may not always be feasible. But you say the more you can learn to work and walk, it's amazing the calories you end up burning. Dr. Sanjay Gupta has written a new book about the mind and how to uh, have longevity of the mind and improve your mind. Uh, I saw him speaking on TV this weekend, and he was talking about the merits of walking and the importance of walking. N walking not only um, burns calories, not only stimulates digestion, um, it aids in, you know, obviously all the things we want to do, building muscle and tendon and loosening joints. Um, but it's also believed that it's really important mentally. And there's some psychology that suggests that frequent walks in some ways can be better for you than intense workouts. Because intense workouts stimulate hormones and, um, and put stresses on the body that sometimes also have negative impacts on the body. So if you're not in amazing shape, uh, if you're not out running 16 miles on the weekend, 
but you can just simply walk more, you will notice an impact. And again, you manage what you measure. So I started doing it with an Apple Watch, but you can also do it with a Fitbit or you can do it with an Aura Ring. There's a ton of different devices, but track how far you walk and hold yourself accountable to that. I say there's three things with respect to workouts, frequency, duration, and intensity. And we get those three backwards, especially men. Men were like, I got to work out and I got to work out hard. And you have this mindset of being young and everything is a hard workout, which is the worst thing to do for you because you then get injured and it's, it's not, you're not going to do it every single day. If you could do nothing but go from two days a week to four days a week of any kind of exercise, you're going to see a massive gain. If you can go from four days to six days, you're going to see even more gain. So can you challenge yourself to do a little bit every single day? Once you've done that, let's say you're walking for 20 minutes a day. Could you make it 40 minutes a day? So the first is frequency, how many days a week? The second is duration. Can you go from 20 minutes to 40? Only when you're at six days a week or five days a week, only when you're at 20 minutes or 40 minutes, should you begin to think, okay, I'm a pretty regular exerciser of some type. How do I now push it harder? You know, could I go from walking to jogging? Could I go from jogging to running? Could I go from a 12 minute mile to a 10 minute mile to a nine minute mile? But that language of, I call that intensity, should only come after you've addressed uh, frequency and duration. And uh, talking about food for just one more minute, one of the snacks, or it's not actually a snack if you do it right, is uh, something that can, can taste delicious and be healthy, smoothies. You like smoothies. So a lot of smoothies are bad for you. I just wanna be clear. Uh, so you have to know what's in the smoothie. I use Daily Harvest. It's expensive. You can do it without daily harvest. You can buy frozen fruit and blend it yourself. Um, what I like about daily harvest is high quality fruit and vegetable. I make sure that I'm getting not just fruits, but they put a lot of greens in there. And I know it's portion controlled, measured, and I know what's going in there. I put it in a blender and I put it with almond milk instead of dairy. And uh, so a cup of almond milk. Uh, an entire cup is only 30 calories. So I do that plus my daily harvest and the daily harvest is anywhere between about 250 calories up to 450, depends on which smoothies you choose. And I have that in the morning and I probably do it four mornings a week. And so if I'm taking three to 400 calories, you feel relatively full and I feel like I'm getting the whole foods and nutritions of the fruit, vegetable, they have nuts, some have cacao nibs in them. And it's just another way to fill, you know, they talk about food as day parts. You've got, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, dessert, whatever, day parts. It fills some of my day parts that I just don't have to think. And another thing is uh, almond milk. So almond milk versus dairy. So a cup of Milk in general is about 200 calories for a cup. A cup of almond milk is 30 calories. The math is pretty simple. The other thing about almond milk, and there's oat milk and other types of non-dairy milks, but we know that a good portion of the United States, a good portion of the world is lactose intolerant. Um, 
I don't particularly suffer from this, but we know that statistically most people, a majority of people are lactose intolerant. So just, I try to cut dairy out where I don't need it. I try to cut calories out where I don't need it. I'm going to be clear. A bowl of cereal with almond milk is nowhere near as delicious to me as a bowl of cereal with regular milk. It's just not. But these are the small choices I make. So, I mean, I'll literally show you. This was my breakfast. It's sitting by my table right now. It's my bowl. I had, I had Cheerios, so no sugar. I had a cup and a half, which is about a half of a portion of what I would normally eat, but a cup and a half of Cheerios is 140 calories. I had it with almond milk. I put in um, a whole cup, so that's uh, about 30 calories, a little bit less than a cup. But what I did is I put blueberries in it, and blueberries are delicious. I, I never thought to just eat blueberries. They're delicious, and they're not high caloric. And I put some sliced strawberries in it. So by having Cheerios without like sugar cereal and all the other stuff that goes with it and having almond milk, but then I had blueberries and strawberries and it's like brings out this world of flavor that you otherwise aren't normally getting. Cause again, we're just used to sugar. And by the way, I would love to eat Apple Jacks and Fruit Loops and Captain Crunch and all the crap that I grew up eating because psychologically I'm programmed to like that stuff. But truthfully, the taste of whole foods is so much better once you make it a habit. Making it the habit is the key. Closing on foods, meats. Some of us love red meat, but you said you progress from red meat to chicken to fish. Walk us through that. How do you make fish delicious? <laughs> For the reason that I want this to be a lifestyle rather than a diet, I eat all of the above. I have Wagyu beef in my freezer. My two teenage boys love it, so I cook it and I eat it. But I eat it in really small portions. So I can eat four ounces of meat and feel completely satiated, and I'll have it with broccoli and a little bit of rice, and I'll make sure that I have enough veg so that I'm feeling full. But honestly, I used to go to a restaurant and I would order 16 ounces and I would eat the whole thing. I would eat ribeye and I love ribeye, but just my portions were just crazy. I just had no idea. But if you can trade down more often, not every time, but more often from steak to chicken, chicken significantly lower calories than steak. So you can eat a slighter, bigger portion and feel better. And fish significantly lower calories than chicken. With fish, you need to know which kind of fish you're eating. So salmon is very high calorie and tilapia is less calories. Uh, so just understand what the calorie composition is, but they bring out all three of those, bring out different kinds of nutrition. I feel like getting access to proteins and fats is good. Uh, so I'm okay with it all. But if you trade down from steak to chicken, chicken to fish, and I'm gonna say it, this is heresy, but fish to veg only? I'm learning to love vegetables and I'm learning to love foods that don't involve meat. So you get into chickpeas and beets and carrots and all these other great products. And sweet greens is a great way for you to fulfill that need or products like that because they serve really high quality vegetables 
and you feel like you can enjoy them without having to have meat. And so I do it all, but I learned to have red meat in really small portions. And I'll just say this also, like, I'm really big fan of In-N-Out Burger. I don't know if you like In-N-Out Burger, but I'm a big fan yes. of In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> so what I've learned to do at In-N-Out Burger is I'm not going to abstain because when you abstain from things, it causes you to then break your diet uh, and you have that yo-yo effect. So I go to In-N-Out Burger, but I don't order fries and a shake. I don't order a Coke. And instead of the double-double with sauce, I get a hamburger or a cheeseburger. I get a double with onions on it and I leave the sauce off or sometimes I leave the cheese off. So you can have a double cheeseburger at In-N-Out for like 550, 600 calories if you don't eat the fries and shake. Fries are amazing. Shake is amazing. But you have to make your choices and that allows you to sample and eat anything you want. Uh, but if you do shake, fries, double-double at In-N-Out, you're consuming like 15, 16, 1700 calories. It's too much. Well, Mark, thank you very much on this. And uh, just in closing, in terms of uh, encouraging people to uh, deal with sometimes an affliction, but turning it around, you wrote a, a blog several years ago on ADD. Tell us about that and how uh, you uh, try to turn these things into an asset instead of a uh, letting them dominate you. Sure. Well, I, I was 39 when I realized I had ADD. And I realized because my executive assistant told me I had ADD. And I said to her, I'm accomplished. I'm a two-time CEO. I sold both of my companies. My second company, I sold to Salesforce.com. I was VP of product at Salesforce, one of the fastest growing companies in the entire country. Uh, I'm now a venture capitalist. This uh, you know, industry many people want to be a part of, and I run my own venture capital fund, I'm too successful to have ADD. You're surely talking about the wrong person. So she gave me a book. It's called Delivered from Distraction. And I started reading it, and everything in that book described me. And I couldn't believe it. So uh, late to meetings, driving cars fast, argumentative, uh, start lots of tasks, don't complete lots of tasks, really bad at time management. Like you go through this checklist and it, I felt like it was a Bible for my brain. It told me, here's why you do what you do. And I started to realize that the things that I didn't feel good about myself for were really just how my brain was wired. So when you have ADD, you have a slow processing frontal cortex. It's not a disease. It's just how your brain processes information. And when you have a slow processing frontal cortex, it causes you to be distracted easily. If you like something, you can go really deep. If you're bored, you start seeing shiny objects all around you. So being aware, having this awakening uh, of some of the most successful people have ADD, it tends to map really well with entrepreneurs because they, uh, we people with ADD are slight increased risk takers. We don't work well for boss because we don't follow process or rules very easily. And we have an inclination for, it, there's, it's called impulse control. We take action without thinking about consequences. And those traits lend themselves really well to entrepreneurs. So I realized that a lot of my success was how my brain was wired. So they talk about Richard Branson and his struggles and how he has ADD. 
uh, the founder of JetBlue, ADD, and they talked about why he didn't succeed at Southwest Airlines because he argued too much in meetings. So once I realized this, then I said, oh, okay, this is how my brain works. What am I good at and how do I put more weight behind that? And what am I less good at as a way of how my brain functions and how do I surround myself with people who are good at those things? And so I started publishing a lot of this and ADD was one of those things you didn't talk about because we associate it. We associate it with people who succeed less and that's just not true. And I made it okay for people to say, wait a second, I have ADD and that's okay. And, uh, and so I started writing about this. I got so much positive feedback and it's embarrassing. Like you don't wanna stay publicly, I'm this person who has this thing, right? But I realized that it was okay and I helped a lot of people. So the reason I didn't wanna talk about weight loss is not just that I worry that next year or the following year, I'm gonna be 200 pounds again, which is possible. By the way, I'm 154 pounds, uh, in case anyone's wondering. Um, I, I blew past my goal of 185. I blew past my college weight. I wear now size 31 uh, trousers, pants, uh, which is what I wore in high school. And I can run a mile sub seven minutes now. Like I couldn't even, I couldn't even do 20 minutes on the Peloton 18 months ago. And now I can run 16 miles at a time. I can run sub seven miles. And I'm not superhuman. I'm a normal person. I just methodically made these things habits. But I realized that if I could talk about weight loss, and you don't want to admit that you were heavier than you wanted to be, or even admit you were 222 pounds as, as my height. Um, but I realized I could help people. And if I could help people, it was worth a little bit of public embarrassment. And because I lost so much weight, everyone publicly noticed anyway, so I kind of had to acknowledge it because if I'm honest, a lot of people were worried I had cancer or something, You know, just not used to seeing somebody lose 65 pounds and so I decided to go public with it. And once I got it out there, it turns out it wasn't so bad to talk about. Terrific. Well, Mark, uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for the inspiration, especially during these times. And as you say, it's not a diet. It's just uh, changing habits, which enables us to uh, have the hope that uh, we can make it a habit and not have that yo-yo effect. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to What's Ahead. I'm Steve Forbes, looking forward to next week. And if you could rate, review, and subscribe to this show, we at Forbes sure would appreciate it.